A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Hometown Glory. Some sad news. Unfortunately, today's episode of Hometown Glory has been postponed due to a COVID crisis. Well, we say COVID crisis, none of us actually have COVID, although Tom is actually quite poorly, so I'm missing tonight. Um, some of us are on holiday, um, another is serving a three-episode ban, but we spoke to the podcast board and we got the postponement. Um, this means the episode will probably be re-recorded in a few months' time, likely 24 hours after another really important episode, thus ruining both episodes. Um, we jest some topical satire for you there. Um, <laughs> although, sadly, Tom is unwell, um, so can't be with us. But there is me, Charlie, there's Ash, there's Billy, and there's Rosa. Hello, everyone. Um, now, of course, there's only one place to start, and that's with the North London derby that wasn't. Um, it's 48 hours or so after it was called off. So I want to know how we're all feeling about the postponement now. Um, Rosa, you can start. Anything you want to get off your chest about this sorry situation, this is your chance. Go for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm disgusted. <laughs> I don't want to be like a, you know, ranting Tottenham fan, but I still, I can't believe they were allowed to get away with it. And it was one of those things where I, when I messaged you guys and I said, is it really like tinfoil of me to suggest that somebody kind of wrote this rule knowing that it would be used in this way? And you said, no, I think the league are genuinely that stupid. And I said, yeah, it's one of those like, don't look for malice when stupidity is like the obvious answer, which is true. But I still, it's, it's again, it's another one of those things like the Southampton game where I just, every time I kind of calm down about it and go, you know, it doesn't really matter. I'm like, I can't believe they've been allowed to get away with it just because they managed their squad horrendously. Like, as I said on Twitter, like if poor squad management was a reason for postponing games, we would not have played a game since 2018. Fact. And even though it sort of hasn't, it's, it's done us maybe a favour in a way because we're obviously quite 
um, injury struck at the moment. It's just more, it does really feel like the principle of the thing. I feel really, like, I do feel disgusted. I, like, I can't believe they've been allowed to get away with it. And I just, like, I know that there's going to be no karmic pushback for it at all. I think that's the thing I, that, that is almost making me the most mad is that I know it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They've done it. And they will never be made to pay for it ever. Like the game will be rescheduled on a weeknight where nobody will have had a chance to like enjoy a day with their mates. Like we would want to at North London Derby. And it will just be like, if we win, that'll be great. But if we lose, we won't even have had like a nice day out together. So whatever happens will ultimately, they, they will face no pushback for it. And I think that's the thing that like makes me the most furious um that's a good start for our for our rants um ash baton over to you your your turn <laughs> no I, I just think arsenal bottled it i think obviously they saw who they had out and were just like we'll just move it to a time of our convenience and i think that's the most annoying thing is that we're now going to play at a time that probably isn't best for us and we could have had a depleted arsenal and probably have won at like the first london derby with fans which would have been amazing um, I think the thing that was probably the most annoying is having to listen to Arsenal fans for the past 30 years talk about this amazing academy and all these kids tail end. And then when it comes like time to like actually use them, they, they don't want to and have to we rescheduled the game. So I'm angry, but I've also calmed down a bit now. And I, I think that, I don't know, under the lights, I don't know, maybe we'll just win and it all will be forgotten for now. That, that Yeah, that's what I'm clinging to. And I think, you know, a few of us have said, as Rosa pointed out, you know, Son, Dyer, Romero, perhaps some new signings. You know, we could have like sort of five, even six sort of better players in the 11 that we would have had sort of um, had we played on Sunday. Um, I think my points, just quickly, um, is that I guess they, you know, Arsenal as their fans are very much enjoying telling everyone online, they didn't technically do anything wrong. Uh, the new Premier League rules that, yes, were introduced because of potential COVID absences do clearly state that postponements can be granted in the case of, and I looked it all up. So it says players who are unavailable to play through illness or injury, which is a ridiculous thing to put in because this then opens you up to all sorts of stuff. It also says players listed on the club squad list who are still available to play in the match, including appropriately aged under 21 players, which includes under 21 players who have played for the club, another Premier League or EFL club or an overseas club in the current season. However, any under 21 player who participates in a club's FA Cup round three match and has not played in any other first team competitions for the club this season will not be considered by the board as appropriately experienced. I mean, that is just like a baffling and sort of speaks to Ash's point about, you know, clubs not having to blood youngsters. The FA, sorry, the Premier League is sort of bending over backwards to ensure that clubs don't have to play their youngsters, which seems bizarre. And, you know, the other thing, I guess, is that in many ways, I, I sort of get it. It's a huge fixture potential Champions League qualification and all the accompanying revenue that rides on it at stake. Clubs like Arsenal and Spurs are desperate to get back into the Champions League promised land, so we're going to look for any competitive advantage possible. But 
I think for me, it's just if you're an Arsenal fan, you just treat this decision by your club with a bit of humility. Surely you just concede that your club have made this request with slightly cynical motivations. It's okay to admit that. You don't oscillate wildly in line between acting like victims because everyone's being mean about the Arsenal and strange little children who think it's hilarious that you've sort of wound everyone up and triggered everyone. But, you know, I guess that is football sort of supported them online in 2022, just winding up other fan bases and blindly defending your club no matter what. Although I do think Spurs fans are a bit different, and we've said this before. I think we treat this stuff with some self-deprecation. I think we call out our club when they're being arseholes. I think we can laugh at ourselves. And I don't think there's that entitlement or spitefulness that I think we've seen in the last couple of days. And that is what has unfortunately massively triggered me, which is what they're all fucking laughing at, which is really annoying. Anyway, that's my bit. Billy, you do your bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was really disappointed on a personal level because I was midway through getting my hair cut for the game. And when I found out and I was like, oh, what a waste of time and money this now is. Um, I think it's kind of like reignited my, I think it, it's, it's gone a bit dormant though over the last few years because I, I kind of feel like I've just sort of seen Arsenal fans like this pathetic like community of people um, who are more sort of interested in like wearing, you know, retro tracksuits and stuff um, embroidered with the Anadas logo. Um, and they've sort of, sort of like, I've sort of lost all that hatred that I had for them. They just sort of like pity them almost. But this has kind of like reignited my hate for them again. And I'm sort of remembering why, like the muscle memory of why we do, why they are like easily the worst fan base in the world. Like they're just absolutely pathetic. I think a couple of things that I've noticed is like, one, as you just referred to, calling themselves the Arsenal is the most cringe thing that any fan base does online. It's absolutely pathetic. Um, and it's just like this sort of view that they seem to have that now that they're involved, everyone is complaining about the whole COVID thing. But that's not the reason. It's because you're the only people that have done it with a suspension come into play. Um, it's nothing to do with the Arsenal or anything like that. It's just pathetic. And when you see the Leeds match yesterday, I think they had a 15-year-old on the bench um, I think Bielsa's given eight teenagers debuts this season, which is a Premier League record. So like, that's how a club who refer to himself with the in front of them should be behaving. Like, you know, wherever they, you know, what they, what has happened to them this season? Like, the three things that they've celebrated most this season is a loss to Man City, a draw to Liverpool, and getting a game postponed against us. Like, coming from the Wenger era of like being invincible, this is what they've fallen down to. It's just pathetic, really. But it has reignited my absolute hatred of that fan base, um, which I think is good, really, because it's been a while since I've sort of remembered how much I hate them. Um, but I think, like, the whole season as a whole, I've just, like, totally lost interest in it. Um, really, really excited by Conte still and, you know, where we're going to end up. But, like, it's just gone to that period now where Man City have won 12 games in a row. The title race is over. We've now got four games in hand. Like it's everything, you know, you burn. I think the Burnley game tomorrow has been called as well. Um, it's just getting ridiculous. Like I just sort of, I don't know where this is going to go now. I mean, how are we going to rearrange four Premier League fixtures and it's not going to come back to bite us? Obviously it is. Um, at first I thought, you know, when we had two games in hand and they were Brighton and Burnley, so you're thinking, right, we can win those easily and you know, get into the top four. But now it's going to be a massive pile-up, which is going to really bite us in the arse, I think. Um, so, yeah, I'm just a bit, a bit pissed off of it already. I've got one more thing to add, because you are, are right that they are the most pathetic fan base. Is that somebody, like tweeted something similar about like how far they've fallen from the days of like winning the league at White Hart Lane and the Invincibles and all of that and like an Arsenal fan like quote tweeted it with like oh we're living rent free in your heads I'm like that's not an appropriate use of that like 
you don't live rent free in our heads. You're our direct rivals. Like we talk about what you're doing as we're supposed to. Like you don't get to use that. That's a nonsense. I think there's been so many poorly used, like sort of memes, and like they've just been using like internet language really poorly in the last forty eight hours, and just like getting everything wrong. And again, just like behaving like just weird children, and I just can't. And it's annoying because, like you know, we're talking about it, and I've definitely been triggered by it because it's so maddening. And I think we all probably have in some ways, and all the rest of it. So they are sort of doing what they're supposed to be doing by winding us up in this way. But I just like I find it so risable. It's just like absolutely pathetic. Like I've, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite so pathetic. Like just have some sort of like it's okay to just like call your call your club out every now and again for being like ridiculous even if it is something to do with your most bitter rival like I think Spurs fans would if it was the other way around I think there would be an element of like enjoying seeing Arsenal fans getting all hit up but I also think there'd be a like why are we being such cowards like come on Spurs don't embarrass us like this I honestly think that would be a response that we would have like don't go running from your local rival it's humiliating it's humiliating for us as fans you know whereas they just seem to be I don't know. It's mad, Billy. Yeah, I think the moment that it hit home that they've totally lost the plot as a fan base was when I saw that, I think it was an official tweet today that said the Burnley game was postponed and every single reply was an Arsenal fan saying, oh, so they're allowed to sell Chris Wood and no one mentions it. But when we do that with our loan, it's like, what are you even talking about, mate? Honestly, what are you, why are you now beefing like Burnley official postponement tweets? Where have you come from? What is this? Honestly, I've <laughs> totally lost it with that fan base. Like, what are they doing? They're, they're bringing Chris Wood into the equation, man. <laughs> Leave poor Burnley alone. They've just had their like one striker taken from them by the Saudis. Like, and they isn't... didn't even sell him. They was a it was a release clause anyway. Like. <laughs> yeah, they had no choice. <laughs> just, everything's gone insane. Like, oh, my head has gone. Like, they're right. My head has gone. They have like, I've been spiraled by idiots it's the rise said, of the idiots it's like nathan barley i said to you guys as well if if we do win that game i am going to take the next day off work and literally reply single-handedly to every single tweet that has been like oh the arsenal have done it again by getting this game postponed literally every single one i will reply to um i think i think that's fully justified um anything else to talk <laughs> Anything else, the Arsenal before we before we move on? Billy's hands on up. A, on a positive though, I do I do actually think it's going to be quite good for us in the long run because I I think all things considered, our players that are missing are much more important to us than the players that are missing to them. Like I don't think we're not in exactly in the most confident thing after the two Chelsea losses, and um, without Dyer, Romero, and so on, I, I would have been pretty worried going into that game. So it's really annoying, but I do think in the, in the long term, it's hopefully benefit us. This was the thing, when I sort of jotted down who they were actually going to be able to put out had the game happened, like, granted, they had a central midfield crisis, but, like, you just know that Ben White would have stepped into midfield and looked like, you know, sort of Declan Rice immediately or whatever. So, you know, and you also know that Saka would have come through had he had the game actually happened. He would have definitely played, I reckon. And, you know, you're... Ben also, I want, at- I want Saka to play, like... It's not a crisis <laughs> if Shaka's out. <laughs> like, we want true. him in. 
yeah we <laughs> and like one more thing as well is like the reason i know that we as a fan base would not have reacted the way arsenal did is because we would know not to gloat because we would know that that would come back to bite us for sure and just the fact that they're allowed to kind of float along on this cloud of it's going to be fine. And you know what? It probably will be fine. But had we done it, it wouldn't have been fine. And we would, and we would have had the sense to know that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think it gives them the advantage for top four now. Like I really, I really do. Cause out, like Billy said, the fixture pile up is going to really hurt us. And I don't know where we're going to squeeze these games in. We might have to go at the FA cup. I was looking before, we do have quite a lot of midweeks and obviously we're not in Europe. So that's, it's just going to basically mean pretty much like every week we've got a midweek game um, for quite a long time. I feel like, I think we've forgotten though, like how, like how much hard work being in Europe is as well. Like, especially like Europa League, Europa Conference, there's like a million games. Mm. So like, I'm like, I'm so glad we're out of it. I didn't want to be in it in the beginning. But there's like double the amount of games you have in Champions League, as far as I can remember. So I think at least it's still, even if we've got those fixtures to rearrange, it's still going to be less work than if we were in the Conference League, I think. Yeah, and certainly less travel and all that kind of stuff. Um, and no Thursdays, because hopefully the games will be played um, on a Wednesday, you'd imagine. Um all right, let's. Um, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Um, and hopefully that goes some way to sort of remedying the. Um, um, I suppose that was sort of negative, but I feel like our last episode we were perhaps for us um, quite negative, and we received some feedback that we had like basically bummed people out. Uh, our loyal listeners. Um, weren't massively happy with us and we apologise it wasn't our intention um, we uh, Rosa you put it nicely we weren't being miserable what did you say earlier I just said I think we were just a bit scared and I feel like that's yeah. a totally different emotion so yeah but I like I didn't feel like we were too damn beat but when my dad said to me that we'd like depressed him I thought okay time for a little bit of a reality check <laughs> um so yeah hopefully that opening little bit on arsenal um wasn't too miserable i don't think it was miserable just sort of just passionate passionate um let's keep the passion beefing with burnley official (laughs) social media (laughs) yeah that that's definitely not reasonable that's just that's just top class um let's keep let's keep this energy um to talk about Leicester and our 496 game against Chelsea of the season um so Leicester um much like pretty much everyone at the minute it seems to have a sizable list of absences um so reportedly missing for the game against us are James Justin Timothy Castagna Jamie Vardy, I didn't know Vardy was out, um, Johnny Evans, Ricardo Pereira, Ryan Bertrand, Wesley Fofana, um, Bukhari, Samare, and then at um, AFCON are Kalechi Inacho, Wilfred Ndidi, Daniel Amati, and um, Nampales Mendy. So it's quite a, I mean, you could almost argue that they could get the game called off with that amount of people actually out. Um, just get you know, one person with COVID and jobs are good and they could um could get that one binned off too. 
Um, it's a weird one because there's a lot of key players there that aren't playing, particularly up front. I guess they'll have to play Dakar, um, who is a good player. But anytime we play Burnley and Vardy isn't there, I instantly sort of unclench a tiny bit because that prick scores against us nonstop. Um, is anyone like how are people feeling? I'm. I think we're going to win this game. I've got a feeling we're going to be sort of fired up from the weekend's injustice, sense of injustice. Um, I think the Chelsea game was sort of a bracing exercise in where we are right now. But I think we're gonna we're gonna go at Leicester, and I think we're gonna win. Um, Ash, how are you feeling? Yeah, I think the same. I feel bizarrely like very confident about it, and I think. If we're to get top four, we have to win this game because I know we'll speak about Chelsea at the weekend in a minute, but that doesn't feel like, well, it's highly unlikely that we're going to get anything out of that. So, and I also think people have forgotten that like, you know, under Conte in the league, like we've been playing well. And I know that the Chelsea games were really poor, but they're like one of the best teams in the world. And, you know, not every team is going to be that good. I think, I think we'll be okay. I think we're going to be okay. We'll get we'll get the points. Um, Billy, how are you feeling? Yeah, I just want to reiterate what Ash just said there. I think like like the mood around Spurs at the moment is a bit strange, and I think it was really upsetting to lose to Chelsea, and it always is because you know they're rivals. Um, and I feel like we want to, you know, our ambition is to to get on their level, but they're champions of Europe at the moment. We lost them twice. The home leg, you know, we had we had some chances and stuff. It could have gone could have gone differently. And I feel like because of those two losses, everyone's a bit deflated. But before that, we've gone eight games unbeaten in the league under Conte. So I feel like we just need another win to get us back into that mindset that we can actually finish in the top four. And I do think we'll do it. Um, I don't, you know, I, I hate playing Leicester. I think they can be a really good side on their day. But I think with those injuries that you mentioned, we don't really have any excuses. And then going into, you know, I'd be delighted if we managed to get somehow get like four points out of them two games or something like mm. that. Just spoil a draw against Chelsea and get out of there. Um, but as long as we, le- if we beat Leicester, you can kind of go into that Chelsea game as a bit more of a free hit, hopefully. So I think it's huge on Wednesday. And I do think not playing Arsenal is really going to benefit us because a lot of our players will look knackered. So it's just a couple of extra days rest. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really good chance to beat them, to be honest. Um, Rosa, are we going to win? Yeah, I, I agree with everyone, actually. I think we're going to win. Um, I feel like Leicester are that team where I think like all of those absences are really going to affect them. I don't feel like Brendan Rodgers is in a place right now where he can kind of like get them kind of going any like in spite of all of the injuries. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like we're going to win. And I also, I think we might get a draw um, at Chelsea. I really just based on nothing but just like a weird feeling or or maybe it's just because I feel like we can't literally lose them four times in one season but I also like Billy's right you know we're unbeaten in the league they are champions of Europe they but we obviously also played those last two fixtures with an eye on the league as well so playing them in the league is going to be a different proposition and they are actually wobbling a bit at the moment so actually now's quite a good time to play them and it's a good time not having had to play the North London derby probably which had that gone badly could have really knocked us but actually now we just don't have to think about it again for a little while so I think get the win on Wednesday and I think we're in a really good place the weekend so yeah I think actually four points is quite possible I think it's um 
it's particularly possible if we do get one or by some miracle both um, of Dyer and Romero back for, I mean, it doesn't sound like Leicester is possible for either, but even just one of them back against Leicester so that we have one sort of ball-playing centre-back that can play in that back three. Of course, Ben Davies um, is very good on the ball, but not having a sort of that Sanchez, Tanganga kind of anytime they're on the ball, the terror that, you know, seems to hit us. And also the confidence I think it gives. And that was the thing that really struck me watching those Chelsea games was the confidence and how comfortable all those Chelsea defenders were on the ball where, you know, we had kind of the opposite and I include the wing backs in that as well with, you know, Dirty on the, you know, inexplicably playing on the left and, you know, Royale sort of going through the troubling period that he seems to be going through. So if we can have some semblance of our sort of better team by having Dyer or Romero back in, that would be, I think, huge for us. And I think we'd look like a much different team. No, no shade on Davinson. I feel like Rose is casting some side eye at me from across across the Zoom. Um, he can play on the right. That's absolutely fine. I just think Sanchez in the middle just sort of destroy so much of your build-up play. Ash, cut me off before Rosa cuts me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I also as well, like I know we weren't going to get into the previous Chelsea game, but we actually played okay. And we created like a lot of chances. And if Emerson could cross and Kane had stayed on site, I don't know who knows what might have happened, but mm, yeah. we created some good chances. So I think like, yeah, if we can just play at that level again, like the second half, because... I know everyone was really angry but and thought that we didn't try, but I actually thought the commitment and the effort was like really good. In the I agree. Half. I just think I the quality was a bit lacking, but yeah, like let's just get a couple of players back in and I think it'll be a really good game. Um, Billy, who would you play up with Kane and Lucas? Would you, and do you, re- like, do you reckon he'll persevere with Lo Celso or what would you do? Yeah, I do think he will probably persevere with Lo Celso. I'd like to see... Um, I think I'd like to see Skip start against Chelsea. Um, well, depends how he's going to manage the two games, to be fair. I think um, we'll see how Wednesday goes first, but I'd like to see Skip and Winks in the midfield again. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens over the over the course of the two different games. I think for Chelsea, I'd definitely like to see Skip in there. I think we really missed him in the second leg. Um, I think we really missed him in the midfield, and I just don't want to see Gary Do- uh, Matt Doherty don't really care about anything else in defence. I just really can't have another game where I'm watching Matt Doherty play left-back. Just, I don't really care who else plays. I just, I just can't have that again. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think one of the worst... I feel like I could say this everywhere. I'm not, I'm not even going to bother. Um, <laughs> I, I really hope that, like, the Reggie's all right, by the way. I feel like there's... I have some suspicion that maybe his injury is worse than Spurs have let on because that's a few games he's not been there for now. Um Hopefully, Cess. It'd be great. It would be lovely to see Cess come to the fore in one of these matches. Hopefully, he can start against Leicester um, if Regalon's not right. Because yeah, can't we can't do with Dirty at left wing back anymore. Um, anyone else? Anyone would want to see come into the team that perhaps wasn't around for the Chelsea games? Or I mean, Skip obviously missed a second leg. I imagine he'll come back in. Um, Brian, I thought did did really well in sort of little cameos against in this, those Chelsea games. I wonder if, you know, that was maybe a leading question about LaSalle. So I asked you, Billy, perhaps Brian could, you know, could step in if, um, 
if Conte thinks he's ready. Anyone up for a bit of Brian from the start? Yeah, I do think like I've always been interested in Brian. I think he's just got he does some things which none of our other couple of players can do. Um, and I do think he's going to have one of those games. One day it's just all going to click for him. He'll like score an absolute world class goal, and then I think he'll just find himself um, get that. You know, I, have, I think he's got a decent future ahead of him. And I would love, I would love to see it happen. And you know, doing it against Chelsea would be a perfect time to do it. Really. So yeah, I would, I would definitely he's one of those names. That I wouldn't, I would, I would never mind him being in the first eleven. To be honest. Um, I watched a compilation thing of Harry Kane's performance against Chelsea in the second leg. And um, I don't know if it was just the sort of like stress slash resignation I had watching that match, but I don't think I realised quite how well he played until I sort of watched it calmly back. He was really, really, really excellent. And I think it's a huge encouragement to see him you know, spraying these balls around. I thought for the first time in a long time, he was like using his upper body to sort of muscle people off, off the ball and was stepping by people in a way that I've not really seen him do all season. Did anyone else feel like maybe actually finally, you know, all this way into the season that Kane might actually be back? Rosa, encouraged? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'll be honest. I didn't, I didn't like give the, second leg too much of my attention because I <laughs> came through I'd like I, I put the kids to bed and then like so I missed the first half and we were already one nil down so I was just like oh god I'm just like I'm gonna watch it but like not watch it um so I'm mostly just kind of going off um what you guys have said really um I think Ash you were you said that it really looked like Kane was back and I feel like you know we've had a couple of false dawns with him this season but you know, he's just too, he's too good for it not to happen again, right? It, we can't go like a whole season with the kind of Kane situation still kind of motoring along in like whatever gear. Like he, he, I don't think he will let that happen to himself. So I think, yeah, he's, yeah, he will be back and he'll just start scoring and he and kind of, and has scored just unlucky really. Yeah, I, I also feel like there was just a lack of quality around him. Like he was up against Rudiger, who's really difficult to play against and incredibly aggressive. And also a random wing back who I'd never heard of, who was amazing, which is just very Chelsea. But yeah, like, I don't know, just I sit like on in the West Lower, like right next to the South Stand, directly in line from where like Emerson put like nine crosses in, none of which met a Spurs player. And you could just see, because I'm the fourth row in, you can just see like Kane's annoyance uh, having to like just deal with Emerson like every five minutes. So we just need to surround him with better players and he'll Mm. score more goals. It's really simple. Yeah. Um, And sort of annoyingly, that's not really Lucas's strength either. Like he's not a creator at all. And you know, he's been this kind of amazing battering ram for us when we've been so limited going forward in terms of dragging us up the pitch. But yeah, the, the sort of massive issue for me watching that game is like, who's creating for these guys? We've got two actually very good attackers still on the pitch, even without Sonny. But, you know, we're asking like Hoybier and Winks and sort of whatever the Celso is at this point to be creating for these guys. Or, you know, two of the least creative wingbacks I think Conte could possibly ask for. So, yeah, um, hopefully some answers are found, maybe even by a transfer, perhaps. Um, 
which I think, Billy, you know, to your point, I guess part of the the weird sort of funk that there seems to be around Spurs at the minute is also just down to the fact it's, you know, we're recording on the, what is it, the 17th. And, you know, we don't seem to be particularly close to signing anyone, you know, which, of course, in Spurs sort of Twitter land, there is nothing to rile supporters more than, you know, the prospect of signings not walking through the door. Um, quickly on that, it's uh, we... Are you guys still confident we are going to actually sign some footballers, or do you have a? Is that sinking feeling starting to hit, Rosa? Shaking her head. Like, I was, I was absolutely convinced we were going going to sign players because I was like, we can't go through a transfer window without signing anyone. But honestly, I am starting to get a little bit worried because they just don't seem. To be I mean maybe I'm just not you know following the right people or whatever but it sort of feels like there isn't even that much noise around it so I don't know maybe like they're working their magic behind the scenes and and it's all gonna come out in like a week or something but I'm starting to get that sort of like oh my god I suppose really gonna do this again feeling um okay one down Ash confident I think we'll get someone in how many? Just I, one. I think one at least, but we need three people. Like, well, we need eleven people, but we need like something <laughs> just to keep this manager happy. Because I don't know. I watching every press conference, every Conte press conference just has me on edge, and I just can't take like the next few months if he doesn't give if he doesn't give him a couple players. So, yeah, I think I think maybe Traore and one more. But like you said, we need. We desperately need a midfielder that can actually create something and it's going to be really hard to watch Ericsson play at Brentford or wherever else he ends up. Why yeah. can't we just get Ericsson back? Like, I don't... Why is he going to Brentford? What's the point of that? Like, no one's going to be happy with that situation. We're not going to be happy. Ericsson's not going to be happy. Like, okay, fine. Brentford fans, I'm sure they'll be happy. But this seems unnecessary, even for Tottenham. I I reckon that, um, and it seems to be the line that Spurs are after a right wing back, a forward, and it was going to be a left sided centre back, but Conte has changed his mind and has prioritised a central midfielder. So I guess that in terms of the issues we have with flogging players to create the space in the squad to bring in even those three players, that's challenging enough. So perhaps taking a bit of a punt on someone with the potential issues that Ericsson might have and touch every piece of wood in my house that there are no issues and that he makes a glorious comeback to football. Um, I also wonder with Ericsson if he's like that sentimental and I have always got the impression that he's quite a sort of pragmatic individual that doesn't have much truck with like you know, the sort of misty-eyed return. Um, Billy and Ash's hands have both shot up. Ash, you were first, go. No, I was going to say, I've always thought that about Ericsson. I think when he was sort of trying to leave, I think before he even got to the club, he always sort of had this idea of this journey that his career was going to go on and we were just a stepping stone in that. So, yeah, I don't think he, not that he doesn't care about Spurs, but I don't think he's as bothered as we might like to think he is. Um, 
Okay, Ash is slightly broken Rose's heart. Billy, are you about to trample on it further? Uh, yeah, a little bit maybe. Um, I kind of, I think it's in the all or nothing if I remember rightly, but I think I think it might be in that, or it might be in an interview that he did later, and um, where he kind of mentions that he he was like he didn't have a go at Spurs fans, and I do think we do mean a lot to him. Um, but I know there was that feeling where he's when he left, he was sort of talking about how the fans were sort of mixed in his last couple of seasons and sort of getting onto him a little bit. And I remember him, I can't remember the exact quotes or anything, but I do remember him saying like, um, you know, people were starting to have a go at him in his last like career and last year at Spurs and stuff. And I do remember him saying something about Spurs fans in that way. Um, so I, I don't I don't know, maybe he's not even pushing for the move back himself. Like maybe he just doesn't want it. Um, and I do hope, you know, I just it would be good to see him back again. I would just I don't want anything but Newcastle for me is what I want for him. Like mm. I'll take Brentford if that's if you know if that's what it is, that's fine. He's not going to one of our rivals, he's not going to Newcastle. So I'd be quite happy him turned up at Brentford if he's not for us. If he wanted to come to us, I would sign him like instantly. Like, I think, you know, even if it's just like playing every now and then and then like an ambassador role for life, you know, I think he's one of our best ever players. I absolutely love the guy. Um, but I think like I do agree with both of you. I think he sort of just moved on from Tottenham now. I don't think he's the kind of guy to go back. So, yeah, I don't think it would happen. But, um, I, yeah, I hope he does well at Brentford. I, I actually Thanks, don't, guys. Yeah. I hate you all. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't want him back, though. I, 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 love, I love what he did. But I thought the last, like, year at Spurs was, like, by his standards, like, pretty poor. And I think, like, Spurs are one of those, like, the only clubs that seems to just, like, look backwards constantly. With this like this sentimentality, and I'm just like sort of over that now, and I just want us to like look forward and buy a, a new Ericsson who's 21 or something. Yeah, that is our classic move, isn't it? Like we don't replace Bale like 11 years down, down the line or whatever. He comes back, we still haven't replaced. He sells him again, we still haven't replaced him. It would be the same with Ericsson. Like we sell Ericsson, we don't replace him. We get him back again. Like you know, we have a history of like not replacing these players. I think. You think about the players that I think Levy loves it, doesn't he? He loves like the return, return story. Like we've done it like Defoe, Keane, um, Bale, you know, all these players. I think it's it's quite a Tottenham thing, isn't it? But you know, it's never the return journey has never really gone that well for these players. Has it? It's never. I can't. Like, um, I can't believe you forgot Pascal Chimbonda. Chimbonda, of course, of course, <laughs> of course. But yeah, I do, yeah, I I don't know. I think Levy does like the return story, doesn't he? But who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, Brentford's kind of perfect for him as well, right? I think Thomas Frank coached him when he was a teenager at Denmark, international, also at junior level. And I read today that um, Brentford have eight Danish players, which seems insane, but I guess the times wouldn't lie. Um, so, yeah, they've got, I guess it's just like going to hang out with all of his international buddies or something. So it's kind of ideal. Still gets to live in London, sort of. Perfect, right? Really? Yeah, and just going back to transfers in general, like, I'm really worried about Vajovic, um for a number of reasons. One, I'm like terrified now that Arsenal are going to get him and I didn't think that was possible at all. Like all the noises coming out of Italy was he'd be like pretty much wants to go to Juventus or if he could go somewhere else, it'd probably be Tottenham. But now it seems like Fiorentino like pushing him towards Arsenal. Um, and I think the problem for that for me is if you sort of read between the lines of Conte's quotes, when he said um, Tottenham need another striker on Harry Kane's level, to me that's basically saying he really wants um, Dusan Vajovic. Um, so I'm worried that Conte's kind of ultimatum signing is that. Um, and I kind of wonder, 
like the optimist in me says that's the reason why we aren't doing anything because we're just worried that we're going to have to put all of our eggs into a, the basket and like drop 70 million on Emma. And all the, if you read all the reports on it, it sounds like his agent fees are going to be huge and his wages are going to be huge. And maybe we're just going to have to take it for Conte if that's what Conte has demanded. Um, but I'm really worried that he's going to end up at Arsenal, which I think would be a blow, not only to us because it was strength for our biggest top four rivals, but I think Conte will be really, really disappointed to that because from reading him between the lines, um, sounds to me like that's the transfer that he wants the most. Um, and also, he's just scored an absolutely ridiculous goal for Fiorentina, so check that out as well. Um, like an amazing chip finish. And he also just missed a Paneca penalty in the same game. So he's, I think he's going to be an unbelievable player for whoever signs him. Um, but yeah, I'm really worried now that it's not going to happen. He's um, he's 21, isn't he? It's insane. Like He's he's absolutely terrifying. Um, Ash, I know you've been on the Blyovich train for as long as anyone I know, um, do do you think we've do you think we've actually got a chance? I I I think our window's shut with him. I think it was last summer, but do you reckon we've got a shot? No, I, I think it was last summer as well. I think he was probably like the Kane replacement, and I I was really like on board after my initial like fury and like sadness. I was like fully on board getting rid of Kane and just like starting afresh. But he just can't go to Arsenal. Like as long as he doesn't go to Arsenal, because like that's like you said, he's twenty-one. Even if like he stays there for a few years, they're going to get a ridiculous fee for him when he leaves. So I just I just can't see him down the road. That would just kill me. Oof, let's um let's maybe move this one on because we're in danger of bumming ourselves out again. Rosa, any anything to add before I move it on to a to more sentimental Spurs chat? Nothing. I was just going to say. Let's let's wrap this one up because <laughs> I don't want any more complaints. <laughs> um, now, okay, let's move on to uh, another former Spurs player who's had a good day um, as we record. Um, would love to wish Eric Lamella huge congratulations on winning the Puskas Award, um, the second consecutive well, the second consecutive player who was playing for Tottenham at the time they scored the goal to win that award. Um, of course, he won it in the most Tottenham Hotspur style possible in a losing effort in North London Derby that he later got sent off in. Um, and it got us to, got us to thinking, um, what glorious goals have Spurs scored in similarly losing, often tragic and occasionally pathetic circumstances? Um, we wanted the hive mind on this. So we asked you guys on Twitter and Christ alive, did this one touch a nerve? Um, before I get to the listener suggestions, um, throwing to you guys which one spring to mind any goals in particular from um spurs defeats any any magic moments billy um yeah there's a couple like the gareth bale hat trick and the inter milan loss like i think that was a moment that um changed our club forever changed gareth bale forever and he's from that he sort of springboard into being like um probably one of the top three players in the world um, and another one, and I know it's not technically a loss, I know a couple of people said this in the replies as well, is the Kane mask goal. And like that goal is, would go down as like my all-time favourite ever Tottenham goal. Like the being in the stadium to experience that was unbelievable. But the fact that it's, it was um, ended up in a draw, I know it wasn't technically a loss, but they had 10 men as well and it was right in the title race. was means I can sort of, I'm always disappointed looking back on that goal. So those would be my two, I think. Were we all um, there for that goal? on that day I actually wasn't there I wasn't there for that game I was watching with my dad and my brother 
Um, it was home. so epic, Billy. Do you remember? It's just like yeah, the heavens I, opened it, as it well. Was, uh, <laughs> it was really weird, actually. Just like on the way in, like um, a police horse like trod on my foot and it like broke my toe. <laughs> It's really random. But then when that goal went in, like all the pain from my foot just like disappeared. I was just like, ever, I've never seen White Hart Lane go like that before. Everyone was like jumping over the seats and everything. Yeah. Yeah, that was just, yeah, that is something I would never That was an unbelievable me. goal. And like yeah. most best moments in Tottenham's history, it's like for nothing. Do you know what I mean? And that's why I think this particular question has had quite a big response on Twitter because we love like, that's the Tottenham way, isn't it? Like looking back on these things that ultimately mean nothing. <laughs> it's such a beautifully um, sort of like, affecting way of putting the play of our club um rosa which any goals bring to mind for you yeah i had a couple like the Kane one was definitely up there um i remember ericsson scoring um against juve in like the game itself was a draw but like we lost the tie in like really pathetic fashion in the champions league and it was like he hadn't scored a free kick for like years and do you remember and he, and he like lined up to take it and and we were just all like, this isn't going to happen. Like, he hasn't scored a free kick for ages. And then he did, and it was unbelievable. And we were like, it's going to happen. We're going through. And that didn't happen. So that's what I really remember. But I think for me, like a, re- a recent, really iconic one has got to be Sun's goal against Bayern. Um, because we went one up that night through his goal. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, this is unbelievable. What a night we're going to have. And then, like, four Serge Gnabry goals later... <laughs> We're just like in the dust, just crying, depressed. And it was, what was it? So we went one nil up and then they scored like five goals and then Kane got a penalty and then they scored another two goals. So bleak. Yeah. I can't remember if we got it back to 4-2 or 5-2, but... um... It was 5-2. Um, yeah, I had five, to, yeah. I've, not, I've not watched that goal since. I actually don't remember the goal itself. I just remember the feeling and thinking, this is unbelievable. We're going to do something really spectacular. And we kind of I, did. I seem to remember it was like, and I might be completely wrong, but was it quite similar to the goal that Kane scored against Liverpool a few weeks ago where he got sort of slid in and then sort of played it across goal? It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter what that goal was like. That was really worse. I remember. Like, you know, yeah. It doesn't matter. Um Ash, tell me about your favourite pathetic goals. Um, the initial one that sprung to mind was Defoe against Arsenal, where he just like belted it in from oh, the five-four. Yeah, so that one sprung to mind. But the the one that I saw someone mention, which I, I think is a much much better goal, was um, Delhi against Chelsea in the uh, mm. semi-final, and it's like the most incredible pass from Ericsson, which you can like. It's honestly the assist is incredible. Like you just have to watch it. Um, and then I think Conte brought on Hazard and Costa and we just like wilted and, lost, and then, then like Matic scores from 35 yards yeah. for the first time ever and our hopes and dreams are crushed yeah <laughs> one, one of those ones I mean that was yeah, like that peak, game peak. is another like we're going to do it moment because <laughs> we kept coming back <laughs> and then it was like we're not going to do it <laughs> um We've had some, like I mentioned, we've had some really amazing responses to this. I'm just going to go through a few. Um, so where do I start? Um, so at Spurs Simpson says, Bale scored a blinder away to Man City when we lost. Can't remember the year. That was um, that awful game where Balotelli should have been sent off for stamping on, I think, Parker. And then in the last minute, um I think Ledley brought him down or Ledley brought someone down and Balotelli scored a last minute winner. Um, 
and we came back amazingly in that game. Um, so yeah, that one. Uh, Sandro against Chelsea, that one that he scored from sort of when Rafa did that lovely little pass over his head and then Sandro walloped it in before uh, we then, I think, went on and lost 2-1. Ziga free, uh, that was Stuart Andrews. So that one, um, James at JM uh, S78 says the Ziga free kick, Man United 5-3. Jesus Christ, I mean, talk about iconic, miserable matches. Yeah, Um the one that sprang to mind for me in a sort of recency bias uh, thing, Shay at Shay uh, THFC says Hoybier versus Liverpool last season was a corker. Um, at Connor G underscore E says Defoe head kick against United. Again, brilliant goal. Um, the Defoe Arsenal ones come up a few times. Um, Rafa's goal at Liverpool says Jonathan Owen. Um, Modric versus Bolton, which was another one that came up quite a few times, actually. Um, uh, a few people also said Pedro Mendes, 2005 against United, the sort of ghost goal wasn't given. Um, finished nil-nil, but felt like a loss, says at um, VXB1. Um, Freddie Canute versus Everton or Bale versus Stokes, says Harry Grant. Um, Chadley versus Stoke at home, 2014-15. Says Connor Anderson, volley from a ridiculous angle, but we lost 2-1. Um, just trying to find some other ones. Here we go. I, I mean, there's so a, many. A few, a few mentioned the uh, the Eric Edmund one against Liverpool as well. That was an absolute banger, wasn't it? Something like 45 yards or something. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I know our mate Tom Hayward had about 16. I'm just trying to find his tweet. Um, where are we with that? Tom's usually very good at iconic moments of uh, Spurs misery. Um, just... Yeah, the masked cane goal came up loads. Um, Delhi and Ericsson in the Chelsea semi-final. Um, yeah, all sorts, all sorts of goals. Uh, Tom Mitchell um, says Ginola versus West Ham, ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Ginola versus Middlesbrough, ninety-nine, two thousand. King versus Man City, two thousand three, four. Pavlochenko versus Bolton, two thousand ten, eleven. Oh, here's Tom's text. So, Tom says Defoe versus Arsenal. I think that's the 5-4. Defoe versus Man U, the overhead kick. Modric versus Burnley. Sandro versus Chelsea. Bale versus City. Chadley versus Stoke. Delhi versus Chelsea. Delhi versus United in 1920. Oh, that was that amazing one um, when Delhi flicked over his head at Old Trafford and then scored. And it looked like Delhi was going to be back. And then he wasn't back. Um, loads and loads and loads of goals that Tottenham score when... Um, Basically, it doesn't matter, which does kind of capture what supporting Spurs is all about. Um, I could keep going, but uh, I won't go on because some of them are just so upsetting that I think we'd all be here for hours sort of weeping. We don't want that. Right, let's move from sort of tragic Spurs events of the past to the most recent one, Um Spurs women drew one all at home to West Ham on Sunday. Um, it was a game that we were winning 1-0. West Ham were down to 10 men. And of course, in a sort of horribly Lanzini-esque finale, West Ham scored with one of the last, um, well, not kicks, head, headers of the game. Um, Rosa, you watched it. How were we? Yeah, it's just, oh, I was so unbelievably galling but I think as I as I said at least my Sunday night kind of ended up in a in a the similar fashion to how I always thought it might um with the even though the North London derby got cancelled 
Um, we were playing like really well, I thought. Um, I missed most of the first half. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, it seemed like we were kind of all over them and then got a penalty. It was a, the West, a West Ham player called Sissoko. So another Sissoko having a bad time at Spurs. Um, she like conceded a penalty, which Rosella Ian converted. And then like two minutes later, like a clumsy challenge on Jessica Naz, I think, got her sent off for two yellows. So that was all fine, all going very, all going totally swimmingly. We had quite a lot of chances, but just couldn't really finish. And I think that's, again, that, that's been the sort of problem with that Spurs team, um, just the sort of quality up front. But having said that, it, it looked like we were largely in control and I thought there were some really excellent performances of what Jessica Naz played really well and then when she went off she was replaced by um, Addison who I haven't really seen but was so lively and was all over she the place. She was excellent yeah yeah I was really really impressed with her and then um, our queen Shalina was obviously immense at the back and Josie Green had another brilliant game I thought she seemed to be everywhere just kind of mm. um, sniffing out trouble um, so it was just, it was just so galling. I just, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We'll see it out, even though we couldn't get the second goal. And then that was it, like 91st minute. And I think you and I had the same reaction, didn't we? Of just immediately just kind of swearing loudly and like it changing the channel. <laughs> it did, um, it did underline to me that I definitely have crossed over from sort of, you know, being aware of the Spurs women games and results to, actually like genuinely caring like my my response very much proved to me that I've crossed over from being sort of obviously caring about Spurs women but now I like really care about Spurs women and you know them conceding a last minute equaliser will as you say Rosa manage to sort of ruin my Sunday night but like you say loads of really good performances I thought to add to that I thought Neville at right back again was excellent I thought Rhea Percival covered every blade of grass and just seems to be exactly the sort of player you want in your team. Um, just need a goal scorer. Just, you know, that chance that Tang had, particularly at 1-0 where someone with a bit more composure would have just sort of slid it under the keeper and finished the game. That perhaps, you know, we seem to have sort of thrown a lot of strikers against the wall in terms of numbers. We've got quite a few options, but none of them quite there. Um but yeah, I think yeah. So maybe always... this is it. It's not. It maybe it's not going to be the season. Like I looked at the table, and we were we would have gone second with that win, and now we're back in fourth, which is out of the Champions League places. And so you know, maybe without that striker, it's just it's not going to happen this season. But that's not to say. I mean, although you know, still who knows? But that's not to say it couldn't happen next year. I mm. feel like playing really well, very solid. It's just that that's missing. And it's it's you know it's it's one step at a time I think with with this team they've come such a long way in such a short period of time that allowing these growing pains and you know seeing them evolve sort of week on week really from the performances I've seen is is something positive even if you know you have to put up with the odd last minute West Ham equaliser happens to the best of us Spurs women don't worry let's move off Spurs and move on to our culture picks for this week. Um, Billy, you go first. Tell me your culture pick for this week, mate. Uh, yeah, I went to the cinema um, last week and I saw a film called Titan, which is um, a French film. Um, it's probably the most fucked up film I've seen in a very, very long time. I, I can't really describe too much about the plot because it's 
one of those things that if you're going to watch it, you have to like experience it without knowing too much about it. But it's about this um, girl who's in a car crash when she's younger and she gets a titanium plate put into her head. And then she sort of grows up with like um, an erotic attraction to cars. Um, and then it gets weirder, only weird, much, much weirder from there. And, and this, the, the director, Julia Decore, um, her first film was Raw, which is like an amazing French horror film about like cannibalism. And this one is like equally messed up. Um, but the violence in this film, I, I can stomach pretty much any violence on screen, um, but something about the violence in this film was like absolutely crazy. Like really could feel it in my stomach. Like, um, and the guy next to me in the cinema, I literally got up and left. It was like that bad, but it's an incredible, incredible film. So um, Titan it's Gordon, it's, it's really, oh, really wow. worth checking out. But it is, it's very hard to watch. It's like seriously violent. Um, Jesus Christ, that's, uh, that sounds terrifying, but I'm intrigued. Color me intrigued. Um, yeah, the fact that she yours. has um, like erotic relationship with cars is not the weirdest part of the film, so that says a lot about it. To be fair, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I'll, yeah, I don't know if I'll I get to the cinema that. to see that one, but um, think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ash, what's been uh, turning you on this week? So, cars. definitely not cars, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm like the biggest um Kanye fan so like him putting out a new song is like a massive moment of my week so he put out a new record um with the game which is amazing um produced by hit boy and premiere and just talks about all his recent uh love life and Kardashian related mess um but it got me really into going this is an odd connection but it got me really into watching all the Sunday services back and there's one that's incredible that he uh, did at Howard University, which I like really recommend. This is like an hour long, but it's really, really special. And I found it really calming to watch all these old, um, basically like Sunday services. So Kanye, Kanye world. Um, I finished watching the, um, the Kanye and Drake concert from was it just before Christmas. They did that I've completely lost track of yeah. what it was, but um I thought Kanye was like superb in that and Drake was like awful, but Kanye was amazing. Um, and yeah, if you've not watched that, it's on Amazon, I think still. And it's like Drake just, sorry, it's Kanye just like cycling through all of his biggest hits. And it's such a treat if you're even like vaguely um, sort of Kanye, uh, Kanye, Kanye friendly. It's, it's really good. But yeah, I, I, never really go into Sunday services. So I feel like maybe that's um, a, the sort of calming thing that I need to uh, reintroduce. Um, mine is, so yeah, I feel like music wise, nothing quite as yet has grabbed me in 2022 yet. So I'm not going to go anything music. Um, we were in need of something a bit light to watch, um, which probably means that we're not going to watch Billy's film recommendation for a couple of weeks at least but uh yeah we were just looking for something to sort of chill us out before bed and um ended up watching uh girls five ever which is a sort of musical comedy uh created by meredith scardino who um is part of the sort of tina fey robert carlock stable um worked on 30 rock um kimmy schmidt so if you are into that sort of comedy um it's exactly the sort of thing you'd be into um i mean a lot of the characters are drawn from characters from those shows as well but it's still excellent it's about a sort of 90s girl group that 
um, had one hit before uh, disbanding, or not disbanding, but just sort of collapsing into obscurity. Um, and then they get a chance at a comeback when they're sort of when their one hit is sampled by a, a hot new rapper, and it's um, it's very silly, set in New York. Um, it's got um, who stars in it? I made a note and I can't see it. Uh, Sarah, <laughs> Sarah Boreas, um, Busy Phillips, Paula Pell, and Renee Elise. Um, Goldsbury from um, Hamilton, who is absolutely amazing. Um, and I cannot believe he's 51 years old. It's extraordinary to me. That woman has the most outstanding genes. It's just really funny. Half an hour, sort of very silly. Um, songs are really hilarious as well. Uh, and yeah, cheered me up this week. Rosa, last culture pick from you, please. I've had quite, I had like quite a cultural weekend in the end. On Saturday night, I went to the Sam Wanamaker Playhouse, um, which is the theatre next to the next the globe um my brother took me to see measure for measure which was really fun i've never been to that theater before i've been to the globe a few times and the sam want to make a playhouse is the indoor one and it's like candlelit which i was like this is not a fire hazard but you know apparently they've got it sorted um so it was great it's not super comfortable but what they do which they also do at the globe is they kind of zip through like the productions are really kind of zippy and fast paced so it was all kind of done in like two and a half hours including an interval which was really fun and then on Friday I had an afternoon to myself and I finally went to see uh, Spider-Man No Way Home which just made me so happy like I really really want to talk about it properly with Billy on here but I can't like there's just too many spoilers so but basically like I messaged Billy as soon as I got out just being like I loved it and I think I can say this without it being too spoilery that is basically I realise it's bookended by two appearances by actors from two of our favourite shows. Yeah, because so I, that's I kind messaged of you saying nice, like, there's yeah. one specific thing that I need to speak to you and Ollie about. And I was like, as yeah. soon as you'll see it, you'll know. And I knew it immediately. Like. As soon yeah. as it came up, I was just like, that's it. And it made me so, so, so happy. So I don't know, like I've kind of got another... Um, off the back of that is another recommendation which is like Billy and I also listen to this other podcast uh, The Ringiverse and there's two that are like for the sort of like geeks and Marvel heads and one is The House of Art which is like the deep dive but I've also been listening to The Midnight Boys which is the sort of instant reactions and they're so fun to listen to as well like if you're into any of that sort of comic book type stuff they go really really into it they're like two-hour podcasts so you you have to care but I do and they're just super fun excellent picks all around I really need to um to I think get into the Tom Holland spider men film um not least because being the tragic 38 year old North London dad that I am I have gotten into euphoria really late and I'm now obsessed by it. So anything sort of Zendaya, sorry, anything Spurs fan Zendaya related, I am massively into. Um, she's so cute in it as well. Like she's so great. They're so lovely in it together. Yeah, you need to watch them. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna convince um, Emily, my wife, that we need to we need to get into it. Right, that is us done for this week. Thank you ever so much for listening. We covered all sorts of things there, so thanks for sticking with it if you managed to get to the end. And Billy, see you soon, please. Up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs>